I know that so many times people in this room, I don't know everyone's stories. I know some of your stories. I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know what baggage you bring into this class or what delights you bring into this class and how God has redeemed and restored conflict in your heart and in your life. But what I do know is that conflict in, for everyone is very personal. One person's experience looks very different from another person's experience. But what we're going to be talking about tonight are just some foundational, fundamental truths that kind of go into every single solitary experience. I will say it may not be your favorite things that we're going to talk about tonight, but I just ask that you continue to try to keep your heart open as we discuss these things and see what the Lord has to say about conflict as we go kind of through a biblical theology of it. Um, I will say that 98.7% of these notes are adapted from a session that I went to at a biblical counseling conference um, called Understanding, Avoiding, and Growing Through Conflict by Pastor Brad Bigney of Grace Fellowship Church in Florence, Kentucky. Um, I've never used someone else's material before in my entire life. Um, I'm usually a little too independent for that, but I think that this material is fabulous, and it just convicted me as I sat underneath him, and I've used it again and again and again in counseling, and um, I have walked away greatly encouraged it, and I revisit it every now and then in my own life, and so I couldn't think of a better material that I just wanted to start off with to talk about this. We hope that kind of talking about biblical conflict in our church is going to be something that we hope to address maybe once a semester because we think that when we look at many marriages, when we look at parenting, when we look at relationships with kids and neighbors and coworkers um, and all sorts of family dynamics that we know that conflict is something that is at the heart of a lot of the struggles and a lot of the hurt that we have. And so we hope that this is just the beginning of a lot of addressing of conflict. So if you want to follow along, every slide that I'm going through should be in your notes. You can take notes or not, um, but they all will be there for you to refer back to. Paul Tripp in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand, which is a great book. Um, there you go. Uh, it says, do you have conflict in your life? Do you experience moments of extreme irritation towards someone you otherwise love? Are there people who simply push your buttons more than others and do certain things drive you crazy on a daily basis? I can't help but smile while I'm saying that because I'm just, you know, as I read, all of these situations in my own life go through my mind to be able to give me word pictures for exactly what we're talking about. Why does it seem that people, things, and situations are in our way? Why do we seldom go through a day without some experience of conflict? The answer to all of these questions is that we think our lives that we think of our lives as our something, let's think about this here, as our own, sorry about the typo there, and we are more committed to the purposes of our own kingdom than we are to God's. We need to recognize that the people in our way have been sent to us by a wise and sovereign king. He never gets the wrong address and always chooses just the right moment, which is kind of funny sometimes, to expose our hearts and realign them to his. Um, that's a huge quote with a lot of different principles, and um, part of me, we could just like kind of shut the door and go home at that point and think about what that means for us, that when we're having these conflictual relationships, whatever the medium is, whether it's work or family relationships or neighborhood, um, that so many of these are an opportunity that God has sent for us at the very right moment to expose our hearts and realign our hearts to his heart. And I know that when I first started hearing this material, I was like, well, I don't know about that. I'm just going gonna, gonna to let that sit, and we're going to think about that, but I don't think that's right. 
because I didn't like it. <laughs> and so a lot of times, I think when I was younger, when information would come my way that made me really uncomfortable like that, I'd be like, that's probably not true because I don't want it to be true. And I would oftentimes disregard it. I think as I've gotten older, I pray that the Lord could, I still have that well up in my spirit, but now I've learned that that's like an identifier for probably it's going to be true. So just give it a chance and let it sit with you and see how this goes, how the Lord continues to show up in your life and either confirm or deny that most of the time confirm it. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And Ecclesiastes 7.14 says, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. And so as we think through conflict and we think about these joys of, that we have in relationships in our lives and we think about these really hard times in our lives, one of the greatest assets that we have to view in conflict is for us to be able to see that the Lord is in both of them. And as Paul Tripp said, he doesn't have the wrong address and the wrong timing. I think it feels like the wrong address and the wrong timing all the time in my life, and I'm sure that many of you might also. Yet at the same time, we have an opportunity in there. I think conflict oftentimes, if we were to see it, is like an exam, and it tests us to show us what is really in our heart. And there, there's nothing that will reveal what's inside of us than something that can really stir us up, Right? To be able to think like, oh, I'm, I don't know, when I got married, I was 20. And I was, thought, um, I thought I was like pretty mature. And um, I wouldn't say I thought I was pretty holy. That sounds awful to admit out loud. Um, but I would say when I looked around in my life, I didn't have a lot of conflict. I didn't have a lot of things that would kind of tell me otherwise, right? And I got married to Michael. And he was, I think, just 22 and I was 20. And I was like, what is your problem? You are causing all, you are, you are making me angry, right? Like it's all the time. Like you're not doing this, you're not doing that. You and 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 you. And I had this great pattern, right? Of you, 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 you. And um, it showed inside of me where all of this junk that I had managed so well from the relationships in the rest of my life, whether I wouldn't get too close for someone so that they couldn't annoy me too much or I'd be able to pull away and when you're kind of single and you can kind of like do that it was fabulous and when he got in my face not literally but metaphorically I was like wow you know he that relationship began to just drum up and I felt like the Lord was like here we go Brianne look at all this stuff you thought wasn't in your heart you thought you were pretty righteous well let's think again and I will say after I come to came to that understanding that marriage and so many other relationships that we have, that's how God refines us and reveals our hearts. I really began to accept it as slowly, slowly, sadly, um, that this was my opportunity to be refined and this is the way that the Lord was sanctifying me. So I think it's important for us to remember that conflict hasn't made the blank. We're going to talk about that in a second. But is it has exposed that you are blank. So for me, I will say conflict hasn't made my <coughs> anger necessarily but it exposes that I am kind of angry sometimes. Some of the other fill in the blanks might be conflict hasn't made you implode, but it shows that you are imploding, right? It's the opposite of angry, but the heart is still the same. It just goes out external or internal. Some other fill in the blanks would be shameful, prideful, judgmental, condemning, fragile, overwhelmed, 
And I'm sure if we kind of brainstormed together, we could come up with a couple of other things. So sometimes in our lives, we're able to look at things that we see coming out of us, and we're like, bleh, that person makes me like that, right? Or like, when I'm at work, so whatever, it makes me like this. So you get to fill in the blank for what it makes you. What does conflict make you, and what does that look like? And again, it's so hard, and I think it's one of the first steps in so much growth for us to be able to say, conflict actually hasn't made me blank. It has exposed me that I am blank. And so for me, a big one throughout my life and my adult life has been angry. The conflict that people are having in a particular relationship is not just Satan's attempt to crush them, although so many of us know that that can be the experience that we have and can sometimes be the outcome. But I also believe that it is God's design to grow us and show us where we still need to change. John 10.10 says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life abundant. And that sets up that paradox for what that's like, that the very thing that Satan is trying to take and crush us with is oftentimes the very opportunity and the very beautiful opportunity that we have to be able to grow and to be able to be sanctified, to be able to be made more like Jesus. A lot of times until the battle really heats up, we don't know what's in our heart. And again, like I told you when I was first married, we think we're doing better than we really are. But when the battle lines are drawn and the heat is on, the heart gets exposed. And so I really believe that conflict is an opportunity. And when we see it like that, it oftentimes very much changes and shifts our perspective on what is happening. Because a lot of times in conflict, we feel like we need to win, right? Or we feel like we need to make it go away. Or there's so many different attitudes that people can have towards conflict. <coughs> but when we are able to see conflict as an opportunity, we're able to really begin to look at it with a much calmer, clearer perspective to be able to use it for something for the Lord to grow us. Jeremiah 17.9 says, A heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it. I think a lot of times even when we get exposed, <laughs> I know my pride wells up and, and says, Oh, no, that's not my fault. Oh, no, they made me like that. Oh, no, I was right because of this. And whatever it may look like. So I just encourage you that as we look through and we're going to continue to talk through what this looks like, to be mindful that a lot of times even when we're, we're seeing what is exposed, we're, we, try to, we try to come up with reasons for why that is. Right? Oh, that's just because of this. Someone told me once um, in my parenting of particularly Elix, my son, who is five, that I was always coming up with a reason for why he was doing what he was doing. Right? Oh, he's just tired. Oh, he's getting hangry. Oh, he's, well, actually, this is mostly those two things. <laughs> getting tired. Oh, he's getting hungry. And then one, they just stopped me one time. They said, you're always coming up with an excuse, a reason for why he's doing those things. And they're like, they're legitimate, right? But they're, they're not. They don't write it off. They don't make it go away. And that was a really monumental moment in my life to be able to say, like, you're right. Like, I am kind of always giving too much understanding to that. To Granted, yes, understanding is correct, so hear me say that. I don't want to, you know, discipline him in moments where I've made him hungry by not feeding him past the time or, you know, have him out too late and so he's tired. But at the same time, a heart that is even my deception towards my son, right, not being able to see what's actually going on and trying to write all those things off. So I think just for all of us, a big part of it, what we're going to talk about a little bit, is being able to say, Lord, I pray that you will just continue to um, reveal what is true to me and that you will continue to step into my deceitful heart and show me what is true. So then we get the question of, so why is there so much conflict with other people? And um, for those of you just joining us, I shared that most of this comes from a session that I sat in 
by Brad Bigney. And when he first said the answer to this question, I was like, no, 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 no. You have not thought through this. There's got to be another answer. Because um, that's how prideful I am. And so I was sitting there and I was like, no, no. I mean, you're onto something there. That's a part of it. But I don't think that's the whole aspect. Um, and he opened and he turned to James 4, which we're going to look at in a second. Verses 1 through 4. Let's see. So, oh, here it is, sorry. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a pretty good question. I've wondered the same thing. What's it going to say? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You act and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. And we're not really going to talk about the second part of that passage tonight, but we are going to look at the first passage where he begins to identify what is inside of us. And a lot of it comes down to our selfish desires. And I didn't like that answer because I thought, no, actually, when Michael and I fight, it's because he has problems. That's what the problem is, right? And so I would love to create any kind of narrative where that could be the answer. So I continue to work on that narrative to fortify it biblically and to try to come up with what that would look like. But as much as I continue to try to fortify that biblically, what it continued to come back to is, yes, although there's relational dynamics that need to change and could glorify God more, and yes, probably things that Michael could change and glorify God more, a lot of what I was experiencing was because my selfish desires had declared war on everyone else around me. And that was a hard, sad truth to begin to look at. And so why is there so much conflict among us? The first one is that our selfish desires have declared war on everyone else around us. And what do we mean by that? As that passage has said, the problem, the problem often isn't really your spouse or someone else. It's a heart problem. And we have heart problems. And the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And the real problem under the surface of all of our conflict is that two kingdoms, mine and his, are colliding What's ruling your heart and what's ruling my heart are meeting head on, and we both can't be king at the same time. It's not just the evil desires, but it's really any desires. Most of the, some of the desires that happen in conflict in our friendships, in the teams that I lead at church or I'm a part of at church, I wouldn't say that a lot of those people come in and they're like, ha and they have these evil desires that are fueling the conflict. A lot of the times, they're both maybe even good desires. They're good things coming at, but yet it's still the want for this desire and the want for this desire that allow them to clash and have any kind of des desires that kind of butt heads. The second reason is, is that our selfish desires change the way you see and treat everyone else around you. If you lose sight of a loving God first, then we begin to use people in different ways that they were never designed to be. So when I want something, which I'm going to create a timeline for that in a moment, I, I want it, right? i got to get there. i got to get to that thing. If I want to be loved, if I want to be seen and appreciated, if I want to have someone be thoughtful towards me, if I want someone to just put their shoes on when we're going out the door because we are late, whatever it is, um, my heart is being ruled by a certain desire. And there are only two ways that I can respond to that person. So let's use the shoes example because that's like my everyday life and I still can't figure out how to have my children put my shoes on and go out the door on time after almost 10 years of parenting. Um, so if you're helping me get what I want, then I'll be happy with you, right? 
I'm like, yay, oh, I'll treat you well, I'll allow you into my world, and then you become a vehicle because you take me to where I want to go, being on time, uh, respecting the rules of when school starts. If anyone is listening from school to this recording, we actually do try. Um, whatever it may be of where I want to try to go, right? However, I'm so convicted right now based upon this morning with my children, but if you stand in my way and don't do what I ask you to do, I will be angry, frustrated, and testy when I'm with you. There will be times when I wish, okay, this does not apply to my children. This is written on the thing. <laughs> when I wish you weren't even in my life. Um, but that is for some relationships, right, that are maybe like these tenuous fringe relationships. You're like, actually, just be easier without you. You stand in the way of what I crave, so I lash out at you, or I push you away, or I shut you out. That's when people become an obstacle. There's only two ways that I can respond. I'm going to use you as a vehicle to get to that place, and you're taking me places, right? So I'm loving you. This is happy. Or you're an obstacle. You are standing in the way of what I'm trying to accomplish or trying to get what I'm trying to crave, what I am absolutely craving. And many times, like, our cravings underlie conflicts. And so that's another way of saying our selfish desires, but sometimes maybe it sounds a little bit nicer for us to say our cravings are what create these conflicts. That is what is underneath it. And like I said before, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, and the real problem under the surface of all of our conflicts is that these two kingdoms are colliding. And so a lot of times when we can look at our cravings, we can begin to see what it is that the Lord is not allowing us to have or allowing us to have. And so we're going to look at what that looks like. The last one we're going to talk about tonight is why is there so much conflict among people is it's because our unchecked selfish desires or those cravings, we could say, will turn into ugly demands. One of the things that I love is this picture right here. I didn't take the time to put it into the computer. I just drew it a picture and put it in the PowerPoint. Oh, well, you can write it down. Here it is. We're going to talk about it. So there's two responses we can have, again, to our, our uh, unchecked selfish desires. One is to hold on to them and be like, you will be fulfilled, right? And the other one is to have a desire and to lay it in our hands and say, okay, Lord, you can do whatever you want with it. And just as a side note, whenever we have a desire in our life, when we take, like, grasping it, and we're like, no, Lord, this is going to happen, and you're going to do it. I want a baby. I want a dog. I want a bigger house. I want whatever I want, right? And we grasp onto it, and the Lord has to intervene in that situation. What is that like? It's usually painful, and he has to rip it out of our hands, and he has to try to, he, you know, like, I believe that he's so good that so many times he rips it out of our hands. He's like, actually, that's not the way I want it to happen, and that's not going to be good for you. But when we take desires and we hold them with an open palm, he has every opportunity to be able to manipulate that, to be able to change it, to be able to set it in the right direction and have it go in the way, right way. But a lot of times we find ourselves close-handing and fisting around those desires. And so what happens is that these desires, now are these desires bad? No. Are they good? Yeah, a lot of the times, honestly, these are good. And this is one of the things that just really bothers me is that sometimes something good can turn into something bad. Oh, that just doesn't work with the way I love for life to go. But it still is. So these desires are the I wishes. These are the statements of our life where you're like, well, I just wish. Oh, it'd be so nice. It'd be so nice if X, Y, Z. So they're not good or bad necessarily. They might be good. They might be bad, but not necessarily, right? But those begin to turn into 
demands. So based upon these desires, I now have these things that I'd like to play out in life and I'd like to see happen. So I would like for you, I will need that. I will need you to do this. I will need that to have, right? So that turns into what then? I need, right? So I must have this now, right? So our hand is getting like desire to demand to needing it. And you can see the way that our emotions, the statements change. But another thing that changes is just our emotional, um, what would you call it, not involvement, investment in what's going on, right? Because like now I really need this, right? Because I'm kind of demanding it more. I'm needing it. Needs turn into an expectation. Well, you should, right? In order, because I have this need, hello, it's a need, no longer a desire, now it's a need. You should be doing X, Y, and Z. And a lot of times what happens then is what? Disappointment, right? You didn't. What in the world? Like you saw I had this expectation because I had this need and then all this kind of situation's happening and you didn't. You, 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 you didn't. And so many times, this is really the level right here. Not a little bit there, but this is the level that really begins to affect our relationships. The people around us can begin to see that in us. They can feel it. They can sense. Maybe they can't like put their finger on it and identify or articulate exactly what is happening, but it really begins to affect our relationships with other people. And what happens to the disappointment is that that spirals down into punishment. Well, because you did not, now I will shut you out, yell at you. I had one couple one time, and he would continually hide one shoe in the house so she couldn't find it and felt like she was going crazy. Because, because you didn't, now I won't be nice to you, make you dinner, do your laundry, whatever it may be. Punishment looks in all different kinds of ways, um, but those are just a couple examples. And so a lot of times... Um, this entire kind of system, right, it just continues that decline. We grab onto it more, we demand it more, and then it begins to affect the people around us more. One thing that's really important is that um, this is not just identify. We're going to go through the steps of how I, we identify this in a second. But when we look at these things, this is not just happening in our horizontal relationships, but it also happens in our vertical relationships. And so a lot of the time, when we are experiencing some, such a disappointment because someone didn't love us or someone didn't, wasn't thoughtful of us or someone didn't you know, comply when we wanted them to, those are the same kind of um, issues that are reflected in the way that we have our vertical relationship with God, not just in our relationship with people. So our attitude towards God will often be revealed in our worst human relationships. <coughs> or I guess I should say like our hardest human relationships. Um, and so when we go, we go to the scriptures, we see that our needs are very basic and that it's okay to have needs. Most of the conflict that we experience in our life, people say and, you know, statisticians say that 90% of conflict is because of the not unfulfillment of our expectations. So when we think about that statistic and we think about all the conflict in the world that spins around us, all the conflict in our own individual lives, that is huge. And I think so many times we have no idea that we are moving through this right? And here's the sad part, is that so many times when we get to this punishment part or this disappointment part, we have no idea how we even got there. Well, why are you being cold to me? I don't know. 
do you actually not know? Yeah, at that moment, you actually probably don't even know. You just like are like, blah, you know, and you're like shut down towards that person. Most of the times, punishment, I, people, people can't even remember what happened in order to get there. Um, a lot of times, because we don't know our own hearts and because our hearts are so deceptive, we can't even totally articulate what our desire is. Sometimes we can. Sometimes we'd be like, you know what, you didn't do this because I wanted this and this is what happened. But a lot of times we can't even articulate what the desire is and how it started. Many times we drape our own sins with a cloak of righteousness, like I would do when I was first married and probably still do to this day many times, right? Like, no, that's not my problem, that's your problem, right? I'm only like this because of you're like this, right? That's one of my favorite statements. Like, I feel like when people say it, because my own heart wants to say it all the time, like, well, I only be like that because you're like that, right? And we cloak our sins in this cloak of righteousness that we're just responding. We're not the one creating the problem. I'm just responding to the problem in terrible, sinful ways. Um, when we are in conflict, um, we see the most exaggerated view of the situation, and I think that's super important too, right? So I love hyperbole. I love speaking in hyperbole. Um, however, I think sometimes that can add an exaggerated view to situations. Yeah, when we are in conflict, we see the most exaggerated view of the situation. It is very hard to see the true, actual situation that's going on. <clears throat> so when our desires morph into demands, it changes our relationship with other people around us. Now, whenever you enter a room, you're loaded up with silent demands. Whether consciously or not, we're really thinking, you must help me get what I want. If you're an obstacle, I'll be angry or depressed. But if you help me, I'll be pleasant and joyful. And I think for me, I've never once had those thoughts like, mm, you shall be an obstacle, you shall be a vehicle, vehicle, obstacle, obstacle, vehicle. Like, I don't go around thinking about people like that in any way, shape, or form. For me, even though I like to think I'm kind of a conscious person, I don't think any of those thoughts, right? But they are an innate in the way that I begin. So if I begin to kind of observe the way that I treat people or the observe the way that I talk to my children or how I'm feeling towards my children at that moment, it, can, it, it is so sadly, so sadly, too much dependent upon how they are helping us to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish as a family or standing in the way of what we're trying to accomplish as a family. Paul Tripp says that a good thing becomes a bad thing when it becomes a controlling thing. And so these desires, like we talked about at first, many of them can be good. I want to get my kids to school on time. That is a good desire. That becomes a bad desire when that desire so begins to control me that it makes me see my children as obstacles and treat them as such. And so what we call that, a good desire that becomes a bad desire because it begins to control us, is that we call that an idol. And so our hearts are idol-making factories, right? We love to look to anything to give us the relief, to give us the pleasure, to give us the joy, to give us peace, to give us satisfaction, so many different things other than the Lord. It is part of our sinful wiring. And here's just a little bit, some questions, I think especially in regards to conflict, for you to be able to think through. So what am I trying to get in this relationship? What are these desires of my heart, right? What are these cravings, is another way we could say it, that are making me, helping me, not making me, it's a terrible word to use, are facilitating me down that process, right, to get to the point where I'm disappointed all the time. 
And here's a few questions I think that are good to be able to reflect on. Am I willing to sin to get this? So like I want a rush of energy. Am I willing to sin to get that? That's how many people get into like being addicted to so many different things. Because they're, they want that rush of feeling alive. They want that adrenaline rush. And they begin to know how they can get it. Whether it be through drugs or all sorts of different options, right? Pornography. I would say maybe even caffeine and dark chocolate can sometimes go into that category. Although I love those things dearly. Um, for, you, for it sometimes can very quickly turn into an idol. Because you're looking to that to be able to give you something that the Lord wants to step in and fulfill. Am I willing to sin if I, sorry, if I think I'm going to lose this? If that thing is going to be taken away from me, am I willing to sin to get it back? Maybe I, I would lie. Maybe I would cheat. Maybe I would be deceptive in order to try to get it back. Do I run to it as a refuge instead of God? So I think the Lord desperately wants us to enjoy dark chocolate. However, if there is ever a time when I reach for that unknowingly to try to change my mood, right, and to try to make my life a little sweeter because I don't like what's going on, and I use that as a replacement to him, that's when that dark chocolate, that's a very, very good thing, just became a bad thing because it became a controlling thing. It became a substitute for the Lord being able to step in and to give that to me. Now, I fully believe if I'm able to eat that dark chocolate and I can be able to be like, okay, Lord, this is going to be like a tangible reality of a spiritual reality, right? To be able to like taste your goodness and your joy and like everything that's wonderful, then I think he is so blessed and he's so pleased by that. But if I use it as a mindless substitution for him, that's when I think the sadness comes in and that's when I begin to like try to control things myself. Would the people in my life say that I am more concerned about this, whatever it may be, this desire, this craving, than I am about them. I think everyone here has probably been the recipient of someone wanting something more, right, than they, they want you or to take care of you. And then do I see this show up in different places, several places, at work, at home? And this one doesn't always have to be because sometimes we're really good at, like, hiding our sin into one area of our lives. Like, I think I had no idea um, – so we won't make this a lesson on the Enneagram, but like I had no idea how angry of a person I could be because I was never like an angry person, right? Because all of mine was in my narrative in my head, like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. Or like, or oh, why'd you do that? But all I would I when I was younger, I was I didn't wear that. I didn't have those experiences. I was never I never yelled. I can honestly I can only remember being angry like three times ever in my life when I was younger. Um, however, like have children and like make me exhausted, right? then that starts to seep out all the time. And all these, like, little humans who aren't doing what I say and, like, press on this button, right, of this control or whatever the idols of my heart continue to be. And so I, can, I saw that only show up there, and it doesn't show up in other places. It still doesn't show up in many other places. However, that doesn't mean that it's not really real <laughs> in that one place. So this one isn't always true, but a lot of times it's just a good indicator of, like, huh, what are the idols of my heart? And where are they coming out? So I wanted to, so one of the things that I, we'll go back to that one for a second. One of the things that I do for myself a lot of times and I do for my clients is we make a stick figure, right? I'm a very talented artist and this is how we do a lot of our work. Claudia has been one of my interns before and so she has seen me do this, all sorts of stick figure art for long periods of time. 
Um, people hang it on the refrigerators, and I'm so proud. So one of the things I think when we look at these questions, I'm a very visual learner. So for me, I can't just sit in here and think really about the answers to these questions. I can, but here's what they'll do. They'll be like, zoom, zoom. And not a lot of change happens in my life, and not a lot of, uh, not a lot of like intentional growth happens because I'm a visual learner. So I have to make all of these things very visual for myself, and so I make them very visual for the people that I work with. Um, and so a lot of times I want to begin to see, okay, so what can I see that's happening in my life? So maybe I would start by like identifying like sins that are going on and being able to kind of write with them, right? Like everyone I hope in your English elementary, junior high had to make brainstorming bubbles. That's basically essentially what we do here. But we begin to look in our lives and we be able to see, all right, what are some different things that I'm doing? What are some different sins that are going on in our life? And you can just kind of write them around and be able to see what's happening, right? You could say, um, okay, let's take an example. Let's use the example of the um, not getting the shoes on, right? So what do I see happening in my life? If I had a video camera, I would see that I am like biting my tongue. Then I would see that I'm like walking really like fast everywhere because I'm like stomping essentially, right? Then I would see that I am saying the same thing over and over and over again. Not because it needs to be said over and over again maybe, but somehow repeating myself like get your shoes on, get your shoes on, get your shoes on makes me feel like maybe they're going to do it faster, right? Then I would see that I start to like raise my voice. Then the video camera would see that I start like having sh like shorter breaths or like uh, more shallow breaths, right? So let's say I was confused about what was going on in my life and I also sometimes combined it with being mad at something else, right? So um, I can't think of anything else that's wrong in my life right now. <laughs> I, okay, so we would be able to say like, okay, I just get like so sad about something or whatever it may be. I can't think of any other examples. But so you begin to see all these different things. And then what you would begin to do is be like, okay, the, this has to do with this, which 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 has to do with this, and you begin to see themes, right? And so by looking at our behaviors, by looking at what's coming out of us, like what's emerging out of us, what's being exposed, if we don't know what that desire is at first, we can begin by looking at it kind of backwards to be able to see, okay, this is what's being exposed when I'm having these moments, and so what is at the core of all these things? And we can begin to kind of identify an idol backwards. Sometimes you're gonna know what that desire is, right? And you're gonna be able to work it this way. Sometimes you're gonna have to start here and be like, oh, my disappointment, I started yelling and throwing things, or I just kinda went in my room and I shut the door, or I had to go like take a bath, or I had to go on a run, or I had to, whatever all these different things that people do, right, to be able to come up with their disappointments and be able to manage those, you're going to start here and you're going to work backwards. Because a lot of times we don't have the insight to know what our desires are and what was making us mad. And so for yourselves and maybe if you work with people or, you know, people that you talk to about life, sometimes we have to start here and we have to be able to look at what the behaviors are that we're seeing and then we work, work backwards up to be able to get, to be able to name what the desire is. I see a lot of confused faces. Does that make any sense? No? Yes? Okay. And so sometimes we know the desires, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we just see that we're a hot mess of disappointment. We have to go backwards to be able to see what is even going on, right? And this is how it's very helpful sometimes to get to be able to name these things 
so that then you can see how the Lord wants to step in and see what's really beginning to control us. How about and disappointment on the other end? To no, I can't think of any desires in the whole world. So if anyone else has any, then I can use that as an example. I'm like, uh, nothing, trained. That's all I can think of. What did you say? I'm, I'm just trying to correlate a desire with yep. disappointment. Great. So I want to be, um, oh my goodness, let me think about one for a second. Anyone can shout out any if you have any. Because I see it as like this, I want, I desire family disappointed because we don't have family unity. Mm-hmm. Y- you know what I mean? It's, it's just sort of the opposite, but I know there's more in the disappointment mm-hmm. than just... So then if I were to pick on you, then what do you do when you're disappointed? Um, sometimes I get angry. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I... You know, <coughs> chase after Trying to get it. So, and sometimes you probably, that helps, even that helps it. yeah, sometimes probably even like accept it, right? There's probably like lots of different ways that yeah. you handle that and manage that in different ways at different times and different kinds of like modes of operation. And so I think a lot of times, let's see if we go back to this, this one. I find, and a lot of times I find it very helpful to go through and put your statements. If you're like thinking little things in your head, so the disappointment comes from like, you didn't follow me to family time or whatever, you know, you didn't have family time with me, whatever that may be. You should want to have family time with me, right? Like, I must have family time because, and my, my encouragement for you on that example is that there's probably also something behind that for like what that's saying about you to yourself, which would actually, I think, be a lot of the real desire. Like, uh, yeah, right, and it's the same on all levels because all people we don't have control over, but we have influence, and so we have to try to be use our influence and weld that very well. But at the same time, you're right. So many of the things that we have conflict in our lives, we have zero control over, which is like the saddest thing ever, that the Lord didn't give us the control to accomplish our desires, which is why people become vehicle or obstacles in order to accomplish that. But family time, that's a great thing, right? But that good thing can still become a bad thing, right, when it becomes a controlling thing. And it actually allows those same people that you want that, like, unity with to feel like they're being vehicled or obstacled. There's a new word. I just hated that. Um, and so, and then so a lot of times I think it's helpful for that desire to go back and kind of make these, finish off these statements. Like, I wish we had family time, right? Like, I will try to make family time happen. I, I must have family time, right? Your voice should get lower as you go down to it. It just makes it more dramatic. Um, you should want to spend family time with me. You know, you didn't spend family time with me, right? And then so because of that, like, I'm not buying anyone Christmas presents. You know, or whatever, you know, whatever kind of silly thing that comes out of that. But that's an example of what that looks like. So thank you for being my guinea pig because I can't think of anything. Great. You tell me.
Yeah, so the healthy, oops, let's go back. The healthy version of that, I believe, is having that desire and not letting it become a controlling thing. So a good thing remains a good thing when it just remains a good <laughs> thing, right? And so I don't know, many of you are writing that down because you couldn't read it when I was doing this example, but I believe that when you, ha you have a desire, right, and you lift it up to the Lord and you're able to say, like, okay, Lord, I have this desire, but do what you want it, and I'm going to accept that and submit to that, he has the opportunity and the ability to change it around and maybe be like, you thought that was going to be good, but no, I want this because this is actually going to be more sanctifying and glorifying to me in the end. But that desire when we are like, no, actually, it will be like family time, like 20 minutes every week and we will play flag football or whatever that is. You know, you begin to script that and you begin to have that and you begin to hold on to it. That's when he's like, um, actually, and this whole tense situation happens, right? And he has to like, rip it from us and or just or just turn us over to it you know to be able to say that Sam did you yeah I think um, on the one hand you know we wish or desire a good thing um, and then when when the progressive result of that mm -hmm. you know there's control and there's such and that and that so that's a great question of how what does the right thing mm -hmm. look like mm -hmm. and I think we have to be very careful about the right thing look like because we as humans automatically go to the result. This, yeah, so the scripting the of it all. Mm -hmm. is defined by our rightness, mm -hmm. um, then we're okay with that. Mm -hmm. Where I think God, where I believe God really wants the result, he wants complete control of that result. Amen. We plan mm -hmm. our ways, he directs the steps. Right. So the whole, the whole, the holistic part of what God tried to give at us is to create a heart of holiness. Mm -hmm. And so this idea of humility to submit to his mm -hmm. desire, his result, mm -hmm. that's what he wants from mm -hmm. us, regardless of what the result is. Oh, right. I, don't, I don't like that, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's and I hear you, sister. Right. Right, because if we try to facilitate that and come up with that, our heart is just deceptive, and so it's going to try to do it the way we want to do it, right? And I love that answer, and that's super helpful for us to be able to say, these desires are good, but keep them good by being like, okay, Lord, keep this desire pure. You doing it what you want to, even if it's not the way I wanted it to go, and you script the way that I want this, the way that you want this to look like rather than the way I want this to look. But that's hard because we're, our human nature is just to grasp for control and grasp for control. Did you have a question? Well, yeah, no, it's just to tag on to that. Yeah. It's because, so when you find yourself going, I want family unity, mm -hmm. and then you start going down that path, then start letting yourself go and kind of giving it to God because, mm -hmm. so, because he wants to change you. Mm -hmm. he's, he's not, you want him to change that child. Oh, be so nice. That person. Mm -hmm. and he's like, wouldn't that be great? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you can. Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, they want he wants to change you. So once you start seeing yourself go down that path, then you've got to be more open. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is because I find it hard to then change, how, you know, because I'm so tied up in, like, wrapped up in all the... Like the way you want, you expected to play? Yes. To see where yes. he actually is. Right, and so that's... My grandpa passed away last year, and one of the things that I had never known that he was known for at his memorial service um, is so many people shared that he would just continually, he, he was a missionary and he was a pastor, and he worked especially with people when they were sick. And he would continually tell these people, I want you to watch God work. 
Okay. And he'd tell people, like, WGW because he worked for um, Dayspring with all those, like, cheesy little toys. So everything became, like, a, you know, acronym. Um, and so, you know, so, and so many people stood up person after person after person after person and shared he told me to watch God at work, and I couldn't see God working at the time because I wanted him to be working in this way, and he wasn't. So I was just waiting for that to happen. But the whole time, God was working around me, and I wasn't seeing it. And so one of the things that my grandpa was known for, which just like, oh, I just loved it, and it's been my theme for this year, is like, okay, wait, how can I not script this but just stand back and watch God work as though he was bigger and smarter than me? Because he is, Right. And how could I just see him coming and working and seeing things and showing up in ways I didn't know if I were just to step back and watch him work? And I think that that's a lot of what, how that comes to, is just having eyes that see him at work around us, even if it has nothing to do with the way that we thought he should show up. And I, and I think also, I know for myself personally, having situations come into your life, even God's hand could be yes. a window where he goes, you will not be able to do this. Yes. Yes. And calling on him to change yep. mm -hmm. that too. To change it and, and being able to say to yourself within your own soul, this is outside soul. of me. Mm -hmm. I can't fix yep. this, nor is it my responsibility mm -hmm. to. And then watch him mm -hmm. watch your, you know, do things in your heart about trusting him, mm -hmm. knowing his heart, mm -hmm. resting in him. Mm -hmm. And then, again, having eyes to watch. And sometimes those results don't come immediately. Nope. You, you, you mm -hmm. look back and you're going, oh, mm -hmm. my goodness, that was two years in the making, but thank right, you, Right, right. Because had I gotten in the way, you wouldn't be about perfection mm -hmm. in, in mm -hmm. your lives. That it would have mm -hmm. become you and you would have become mm -hmm. me. Right, you've been right. meddling in it, right. and then, yes. Mm -hmm. right. But I think that's like a, a huge picture, too, mm -hmm. to get our hearts around mm -hmm. in, in the process of, like, God's about us. Yes. He's about For all us. kinds of things outside of us. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And we have to find our place at times mm -hmm. inside of that mm -hmm. sphere. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is acceptance, right, and submission to that to be able to say, like, okay, Lord, I want your glory. Bridget. I think, too, like, um, even if you struggle in an area, there's, like, something to be grateful for in mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, I know I've had a lot of people that have been experienced through us that have a great at it, but they mm -hmm. have an attitude problem. Mm -hmm. And then you, like, Yeah. Like, and then six months later, you're grateful that you all went out and made movies together. Mm -hmm. You're like, Lord, mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. I mean, yes. like simple things that you can like yep. reflect on. And that's a way of watching God work, right? That's a way of like recording it and being mindful and being intentional to be able to be like, all right, whew, I'm going to try to see where you show up and see how you're working at me, with me, in my life, and in the lives of other people. Like you said, we're just a part of it. So we're going to switch to then, like, how do we respond to conflict, right? We're still going to be talking about those same things, carrying them over. But I do think that there's three main ways that are these basic ways. And so some of these are super basic. But one of the things I think that's awesome about conflict is that so many of us know what we do and we don't do it yet, right? Like, we know that it should be like, Lord, you got this. And yet we continually try to take it back in our own hands and meddle, right? And so I think hopefully this will be a fresh reminder for all of us. So we're going to go through each of these individually. But the first one is to examine your own heart, to communicate instead of retaliate, and to persevere for the glory of God. So in terms of examining your own heart, um, 
we have to work very hard to become more aware of the fact that we are a sinner more than we're being sinned against. I don't know about you, but again, I am really fabulous at seeing the sin in someone else's life very quickly, identifying how they should change and what they should be doing better. Um, while all the time, I will honestly say, knowing exactly what my sin is, but I begin to hold them like intention. And my sinful pride, right, very quickly rises up someone else's thing very more, much more prominently in front of my perspective, right? And mine will be like, I totally know Sarah and I need to work on that totally, but this person really should do this, right? And so we have to really work hard to examine our own hearts and to try to shift that perspective to be able to say, okay, I need to see that actually first what I'm bringing to this conflictual situation is my sinfulness and my deception. And here's the great news about deception that I need everyone to hear. So many times I work with my own heart on this and with people in counseling and like, I'm not deceived. Right, that's the whole point of deception, right? So if you don't think you're deceived, I just need you to know you are, okay? And so we all are. Like, Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, and the great, one of his greatest MOs is being the father of lies. And he's excellent at helping us not know what's going on, even in our own hearts. We have this amazing capacity to magnify other sins and to gloss over our own. And... Um, what, and what do you think is the heart condition that lies behind that? Why do we do that so much? What sin is at the root of that kind of thinking and living? Again, it comes back to that self-righteous pride, and God hates it. Um, I had given a couple of verses I was going to pass out for people to read, and I forgot. So you can feel free to look at those again in your own time. I will tell you Psalm 139, 23 through 24 talks about search. Let's see, I have it right here. Let me just find it. Yep. Do you know the... Mm -hmm. What is the primary... Excellent. What is the primary pronoun in what you just read? Yes. And so, um, again, not my favorite truth, but <laughs> is apparent. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The pronoun never switches, unfortunately, to you or them or that situation Bridget I think Michael said that in one way or the other to me in about 100 million times. So be able to be like, Brienne, why didn't you just give me the benefit of the doubt? And I'm like, because I know every intention of your heart and every action that you have. You know, like, because I am the Holy Spirit. You know, and then when I'm, like, doing something that hurts him, I'm like, but don't you see I didn't want to hurt you, right? Like, and, it, and that is so true. Absolutely true. So to be more aware that we are a sinner than that we're being sinned against. And just like we've been talking about, to be able to come face to face with our own sin and so that our own sin is what begins to loom large in our life. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 10 says, For I am the least, here, um, Paul's talking here, and it says, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than, all, than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. And so a lot of times, 
It's only when we come face to face with our own sin that grace starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And we have more and more and more to give to other people in our lives. Um, it, and grace begins to become so mind-blowingly sweet that we love to just give it away to other people. But if we are constantly minimizing or brushing aside our own sin, um, refusing to look at it long and hard, then we've probably lost sometimes that amazing quality of grace, and then we're not really able to extend as much amazing grace to other people. I think um, different personalities handle the inside of sin differently, um, and I think I'm prone to being able to see my own sin and just wanting, like, so I'm, um, if you're familiar with Enneagram, like a one and a perfectionist reformer, and I just want to change my sin and get it done and, like, have it redeemed and let's go, right? And so, like, I don't struggle with a lot of shame. I struggle with, like, probably glossing it over more in order to try to, like, move on, right? Like, I just want to grow and, like, have that done with and and be who God's made me to be. And so the process my entire life has been a huge part that I've had to be able to really embrace to see, like, sometimes that's not how change happens. And sometimes, actually, single, every time that the process is longer, right, that is the greatest work that the Lord does inside of me, being able to see that and being able to be okay with it. But here we can see that Paul has a connection between owning his own sin and rejoicing in God's grace. And there's not shame involved and there's not condemnation involved in what he just said, right? But yet, this, but yet he is able to say, like, but here's what happened and here's what God made me. And so coming face to face with our own sin so that grace begins to loom large in our life. A big part of this also is repentance, to be able to say, you know what, wow, my desires has, like, loomed over this person for how many years of life, right? My desires have, like, became a very bad thing, right? And whatever it is, so whatever part in the, what would we call this, progression, the arrow chart, um, that you find yourself at consistently, whatever desires have led you to those different kinds of places, I think the one of the greatest things you can do is repent from that to the people around you and to the Lord to be able to say, like, oh, Lord, I look for satisfaction, for fulfillment, for identity, whatever it may be, whatever those idols may be, in this instead of in you. I wanted to be the person in control of this instead of allowing you to be in control of this. Very important to know that in Jesus, um, there is no condemnation for our sins when we have him covering our sins. So I'm co-teaching through the book of Hebrews right now in women's Bible study, and this has just become such a beautiful truth to me again and again, um, how there's no shame and no condemnation because of Jesus for our sins. But I think that's something I just always try to mention every time we talk about repentance, we talk about examining our own heart, because those are emotions and places that are just no part of the Christian life. There is guilt, and that is meant to call us to repentance so that we can continue to honor Jesus more, but no shame and no condemnation. <clears throat> and again, we talked about this a little bit, but I want to also talk about when we examine our own hearts, there's this concept of understanding of what our sin is. But one of the things um, Paul Tripp talks about and Brad Bigney talked about in this talk is what is happening inside of me that I was so easily hooked. So um, I try to give the example. If like someone came up to you and they were like, you look like a clown, Deborah," And you're like, uh okay, sorry you think so, right? Because like you don't have a big fear of looking like a clown or that doesn't really like connect to your identity. So that doesn't hook you, right? So people come up all the time and say things to us that we're like, okay, and it doesn't like get us and it doesn't get us going. You may tell that story again that day because you're like, that was strange. 
but it's not the same kind of like fervor you'd be telling to Sam if it like got you, right? And I think anyone who knows you can all imagine when those things like get you, right? Like that's gonna hook you, right? And all of us, we all have these certain things in our life though, that someone came up to you and um, you know told you to wear tennis shoes when you wanna wear like your cute shoes, that could like hook you a little bit more. And so we all have these things in our lives where it's like that got me. Wait, why did that just get me? That didn't get me, but that got me. And that's another way of identifying those idols and those things inside of our lives where it's like, okay, why is this really making me mad? Why is this making me having to tell three people the story of what happened? Why is this making me like think about it when I'm in the shower and in the car and before I'm going to bed? And those are all some of the signs, at least for me, of what hooks me a lot of times. Why do some of these things hook you? So when we examine our own heart, we can see that this gets us a little riled up. That is one of the ways that we're able to see, oh, oh, there's a desire there. There is something behind that that is absolutely getting me. There is where my craving lies. And that's another way to be able to examine our own heart. Um. <clears throat> All right, so the second part that we move to is being able to see. That's really practical, though. What gets you riled up? Oh, yeah, it's a great indicator. Yes. Right. You can immediately be like, oh. Exactly. You're like, why? What is going on inside of me? That's what you have to do to to move on or grow. Why? If you just say, oh, well, that just really hooked me. You know, that got to me. Examine why if you want to change. Well, and then you then you have the idol replacement, right? And so that's the big part too. So it's like, why did that really get me? Because that made me feel like I was stupid and I don't like to feel stupid. Or why did that really get me? Because that made me feel disrespected. Or that really got me because that's not what I want to be known for, whatever it may be. And then so I always say that like the answer is in the opposites, right? So a lot of times we have to sit there and try to figure out when really if, if we learned as a child, like what's the opposite of like, like I can't think of any opposites right now, you know. Yeah, hot, cold, thank you. Like, no opposites went through my mind at all, none. Um, hot, cold, you know, like, as a child, we play those games with children all the time because we teach them opposites, right? If we can engage that part of our mind that's like, what's the opposite of, like, holding something in a tight grasp? Like, holding it with an open hand, right? Like, and we can begin to see those things in our life. A lot of time, those very things that we have to do, those idols that we're wanting, which is, like, what's the opposite of me, like, pining after it when you... Uh, Chasing after people to like be in family time. The opposite is me surrendering to the Lord and making letting Him do the work in that in their hearts, right? The opposite is me actually like not even saying anything and just sitting back and being like, hmm. "Well, yes, yeah, <laughs> whatever that may look like." You know, because then again, if you're the one that was always angry about, you know, why do you not want to be with that girl? Like, what's mm-hmm, the problem? Mm-hmm. And then you're like, "Oh, I'm not going to show up today, Dad." Right. And then they're like, after like three or four times of that, they, they'll be like, oh, what's wrong with that? Well, yeah. And here's another, here, here's another secret. Yeah. <laughs> if we're talking about like conflictual circles, right? And again, there's so much about conflict that I would love. We could send all, like literally all week and I, I would have fun. Um, about like conflictual circles, but that's like conflictual like habits, right? And so like the rule to breaking a conflictual habit is that you just do one thing different. Whereas like you would normally be like, but why don't you want to come, right? Like everyone knows you're going to say that. No one wants to hear you say it. And so, and then they play their role and everyone plays their own role. But like if you can just do that one thing different to be like, okay. Yeah, well, I was actually just going to go um, mow my neighbor's lawn anyways, right, with my time, right? Then that, then that changes the whole habitual circle. 
And so a lot of times we get to look at those opportunities too to be able to say like, what is the thing that I'm in control of? Because you can't control their responses, unfortunately again. But you are able to control your responses to be able to say, okay, great, yeah, okay, I was thinking, oh, I, if you were gonna say no, I was thinking I was gonna go mow my neighbor's lawn. And so and he just he had surgery, so I think that'll be a blessing to him. So that works out great, right? You break the whole circle, and like you said, a couple times after that, then like that habit begins to be broken, and new ones are able to be formed. Very true. <laughs> we're doing the opposite, so that's all gonna be good and pleasing to the Lord all the time. Yeah, you're like, I'm just moving your lawn. The second way is that we're gonna communicate instead of retaliate. This has a lot to do with our mindset, having a listening heart, and having godly communication. Um, so we have to start communicating instead of retaliating. When someone hooks our idols, it is so easy for us to react to that because it just hooked our idols. It just like caught something inside of our hearts that we're like so prone to being like, blah, right, and reacting against. But our goal has to be able to respond, not react. I always think of reacting as that's like a chemistry word, which I never took chemistry, so it would have been helpful for all these metaphors if I would have taken it. Um, but when something reacts, it has no other choice but to do that, right? Because it's a reaction. It's something that when this hits that, that's what happens, right? However, when you respond, it's full of choices, full of options, and full of ways to be able to handle things. So the, there are many times and moments of conflict that we can turn that can turn into some of the greatest moments of insight about ourselves, about your spouse, about your coworker, about your child, about the world around us, about God, about grace, and about the gospel. And so when we choose to communicate and we choose to respond, I know for myself that there are so many times when I feel like the Lord shows up in that moment, and I had no idea what I was going to say, but I I am refusing to react. I am refusing to go with that like surge of frustration or anger inside of me or overwhelming spirit and I think the Lord loves to show up in those moments um, you we often have to change our mindset though of solving problems God of solving problems God's way instead of the I actually just want to get what I want way and so when we want those desires and we want them bad enough that is something that like makes us follow through on that right but we have an option to be able to submit to the Lord to be able to say actually I want to solve the problem your way instead of just my way, um, which is hard, right? It's very hard. But that's when I think having a listening heart is one of the greatest aspects of communicating with people, to be able to say, like, okay, I actually want to listen to you and what you're saying in this moment, but I also want to listen to the Lord and hear what you're saying in this conflict. I want to be open to that. I want to be humble. I want to be receiving instead of giving. So many times in conflict, I, can, I imagine us as, we're like, we're like, like exporters, right? Like we're giving, we're saying stuff, we're like, you know, cathartically saying stuff out loud or whatever. And I think in conflict, one of the most beautiful pictures is if we can be like receivers of like what that person's actually experiencing and hearing and actually what the Lord wants to be able to do in us at that time, that difference between like outputting or inputting, um, I think is a huge difference. And I think godly communication is a huge opportunity in these moments. I forgot my Bible. So I'm going to read, does anyone have an act? Oh, Sam, you have it open. Would you read Ephesians 5, 15 through 32 for us? And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, 
but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God and to you the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. For husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Is that five or four? That's five. So I think, I don't know why they threw in the... No, my, my phone went to pull up the passage the entire time. Um, yes, it's coming from the first part of that, what we read. So I think one of the things that we have in terms of the way that we handle conf I think that's just the outplaying it when it talks about husbands and wives. But one of the things that we grab from that, that passage is to be able to have four rules that we call the four rules of godly communication. And so we talk about those a lot at Village Church. And I, sometimes I wonder if we define them for people who haven't, <laughs> haven't been here for a while and know what we're talking about. And so I just wanted to revisit those. These are very fundamental in terms of what communication is. And we talked a little bit about how we have to be wise, right, and not unwise to make the best use for time because the days are evil. And so when we talk about communication, the first thing we want to hear and see from everyone in conflict and in any kind of situation, right, is to be honest. That's so, what you meant, I know. My whole notes say, say yeah. that's what I was thinking. Yeah, that's what it's 25 My whole, in five or four? It's so funny because my whole notes say four from him, and I'm like, that is not right. <laughs> but I'm glad that we got to hear about husbands and wives. There you go. Go ahead and read 25 to 32, Sam. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one to each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of This is better. <laughs> are we okay? Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, you're good. This is much more applicable. Yeah. I was too. <laughs> such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, 
so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not mm. grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor be slandered and put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also forgave you. So when we look at the four rules of communication, it makes much more sense from this passage where we get them from. No, but one of the things, um, this passage is something that I continue to meditate all the time when I'm in conflict because I feel like there are so many convicting points in this passage. One that is continually gets me is, um, I should have looked exactly where it was, the word talks about as, like, fit, as fits the occasion. That's a huge one for me because I feel like a lot of time as fits the occasion. So... I just lost it again. What verse is it? It's 29. 29. So let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. And the word corrupting is just like, I'm like, oh, bless you, Lord, because you know how visual a person I am. And so for me to think that my words are either building up or they're corrupting, which is like the concept of rust. So it's not necessarily like I came in with like a sledgehammer, which I don't think my words don't tend to be sledgehammer. Like my words probably tend to be more like a little bit of acid, right? Like eating away at something very slowly and like, but still corrupting, right? And so... But I think a lot of times I'll feel convicted about something or want to say something to someone or have an insight that I'm like, this is, this is what they need to hear, right? But it's like, actually, actually as, as it fits the occasion. And so that is just something that is continually convicting me for, like, actually, right now is not the time because that's not seeking to build the other person up, and it's not doing anything for the occasion. But so the four rules of communication are to, number one, be honest. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We cannot really work on our relationships. We really can't come to commonplace in conflict if we're not being honest. Second one is to stay current. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So there's an there is an opportunity for evil to continue to fester and grow if we don't say what we're thinking. How many marriages and relationships and things I work with in counseling and I see in my own life that if we would have addressed this when it happened, it wouldn't have festered and grown and built up all this time. And that just breaks my heart when I see that happen because I just know that that's like one of the devil's MOs. He loves it. He's like, it works every time. If we can just get someone to not be honest, if we can just get them to shut down um, and hide it, then it'll get to fester and it'll become even bigger in the long run. Third one is to attack the problem, not the person. This is so hard because I think a lot of times when the person is wounding you, we see them as the problem. And so to be able to say, like, okay, no, I will not see the problem as you. I will see the problem as between us, right, or wherever it may be. And I will attack that, not you, for what is going on. And again, act, don't react, which is basically the same thing as I said before, which is respond versus react. And so if this, if this is something, if you feel like the Lord is just allowing a season of conflict into your life, this is a passage that I... Um, and we read 20, let's see, we read 25 through 32, a passage that I very much encourage you to memorize and have it on your mind and have it before your eyes to be able to say, okay, Lord, this is something I want to be teaching my own heart. I also encourage you tonight to be able to identify one of those areas that is, is your weakest area. So which out of these four rules, if you're like, you know what, that is the one that I have the hardest time with and be able to come up with ways to be able to be honest, to be able to say, okay, you know what, no. I oftentimes twist things to be better than they are, or I oftentimes hide my feelings, or I'm not real, or I'm not letting that person in. I oftentimes um, 
take all sorts of conflict when I think about that person or when I actually talk about them and I name all these things they've done before, even things that I, they've repented of and I've forgiven them of, and I put them all in the same pot in the way I view them and the way I experience them. I don't let the gospel and the fact that they are redeemed and that there is a grace enter into that situation. I love to attack the pro person, not the problem, right? And figuring out, like, so how do I just see the problem and see the forces of evil that are at work in our relationship as what needs to be attacked and have a war with that instead of having a war with the person who is also involved. And then how do I figure out how to respond to this in a way that brings grace, which we're going to talk about in a second, rather than in a way that actually is a reaction of what is in my own sinful heart pouring out. Um, this next point is that one of our greatest opportunities is to persevere for the glory of God rather than persecuting or punishing that other person. And so a lot of times we know that we're in a battle, right, like I just said, but we think that the battle is against that other person, and we lose sight of a, bibl a biblical goal in the middle of our conflict. And so we have to constantly, because our hearts are so wanting of what they want, when they want it, how they want it, we have to continually place the goal back in front of ourselves, the biblical goal in front of ourselves, in front of our eyes, in front of our hearts. And when we're locked into conflict, um, <laughs> everyone's probably going to want to amen this, we can think that some things are very big deals that just aren't, right? That's where the whole mountain out of a molehill statement comes from is because um, our eyes begin to see things in funny ways. And so we cannot get lost in the battle. We have to remind ourselves of the biblical goal and set that before us, that our goal is to please God. Second Corinthians 5.9 says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether absent or present, to be well-pleasing to him. First Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Philippians 1.21 says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Wrong goals lead to chaos and conflict in relationships, as we saw in our arrow chart. James 3.16 says, For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every, and every evil thing will be there also. So when we have these cravings, when we have these selfish desires, and we, they lead to the wrong goals, the expectations that we're trying to get, um, the disappointments that are happening all the time, they can lead to wrong goals of what we're trying to, to achieve. And when we continually place to please God in front of us, and that's what we begin to fix our eyes on, that is, I think, where the opportunity is to, for so much growth. Um, we've already talked about Matthew 7, 1 through 5, in terms of just what it is to be able to examine our own hearts. That's the verses on the plank in our own eyes, to be able to look at our own sin and to see our Savior rather than to see our spouse and what their sin is or our people in our life that are being so difficult. Um, and so I think, and then um, a couple other aspects of this, again, we already mentioned this, um, but it's to trust God and watch him work. We are not the Holy Spirit, and so we have to show up. We, we don't show up to all these situations. We have to wait for him to show up and work. I literally had a dream about mm, a week and a half ago. Um, this will just be, this is super vulnerable for me to tell you. And in this dream, it was like a Disney movie, right? And so there's like kind of this like purple um, uh, cartoonish cloud like swirling around me. And in the cloud were all of these different situations in my life where I have no control. None of them are personal. 
they'd be like, um, these two people are fighting, and they just keep fighting, right? And that, like real situations, right? It'd be like this person's marriage, like, is in shambles. It'd be like this boy broke up with this girl, and I don't think that that should happen. <laughs> It'd be all these situations that are real situations, and they were like flying around me. <coughs> okay, this is the beautiful part of the dream. In the dream, I had a wand. <laughs> this is not a lie. And I was like, and you will be healed, and you will be fixed. And I got to go around to all of the situations twirling in my life and fix them all. And I was like, and while the dream was happening, I was like, oh, this is very messy, Brian. <laughs> this is a very bad dream. This is actually like a nightmare, right, where you get a wand of control and you get to step into all these situations that otherwise you just have to watch um, not be the way that you wish that they would be. And I could bring healing automatically to these situations and glory to God. And this is just a point that I continually have to come back to in my own life. I think as a counselor, as a friend, as a pastor's wife, as a mom, as a wife, I have to trust God and I have to watch him work. And it is one of the greatest joys of my life to be able to do that and see him outdo me all the time. Were you in a dental surgery? I actually have no recollection of that, but let's just say yes for the drama of the situation. Um, Hebrews 12 one through three says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. And so I could go on and on about the book of Hebrews and how much comes <coughs> into this verse. Um, how many times in the book of Hebrews the authors ask people to consider these things and to really live them out. But when we're facing discouragement and weariness, we can work that verse backwards again, Right? So we're not just looking at all these verses and being like, oh, so if this happens, then that happens. Sometimes we're in that discouraged and weary part, and we have to be able to work that verse backwards to be able to say, like, okay, well, I am like that, so what do I have to go do in order to get out of that, right? And that's where we have the opportunity to be able to set our focus on Jesus, to be able to say, okay, that is you. You are the goal. You are the one I want to please. St. Augustine said, love God with all your heart and then do whatever you please because he knew that a heart that was set on Jesus that was focused on loving him would have an overflow that would just begin to automatically affect all the different areas of our lives. And I think that is part of our perseverance for the glory of God is being able to focus on Jesus and keeping that as our goal. To be able to give more grace, we're going to talk about that in a second. As we've talked about already, one of the greatest opportunities that we have to persevere for the glory of God is to continue to give grace even when we feel like I don't have anything else to give because that is the way that the Lord is towards us and he never runs dry and empty with grace for us. And another part is to be able to avoid avoidable situations. Um, a lot of times we get into conflict in situations we could have avoided by, because we know that they're conflictual. We know that we're being hooked. We know that we're being baited for something, right? We know if we go there, that's going to happen. And so I'm not talking avoid, like, stay in your closet and never come out. But I am talking, like, you know, if someone's trying to get you to go there in conversation, don't go there. Just, just get up and go to the bathroom. 
have your phone lose connection. No, I don't know what happens, but be able to say like, okay, no, this is an avoidable situation. And so this is actually not where I think this is appropriate for us to go to, right? And then just not go there. <clears throat> One of the most significant problems is that there is no economy of grace. Here, Paul Tripp's talking about marriages. With all their marriages, obvious difficulties, what is most shocking is the profound gracelessness of their marriage. There is no willingness to look within and confess deep-seated sins, so they never find that sweet forgiveness. There is no vertical hope to carry them in the dark and discouraging times, and there is no... Re oh, my goodness. I'd like to say, for the record, I edited this and missed all of that. Um, I think he says that there is no redemption. Let's see. There's no vertical hope to carry in the dark and discouraging times. There is no rest that comes yep, mm -hmm, from entrusting each other to the grace of God. As a result, their relationship is reduced to human demands, human performance, human failure, human judgment, and human punishment. There is no hope or power for change. And because they are not daily soaking in the fountain of God's grace, they do not extend it to one another. And so I think a lot of times, if we go back to this original passage of James 4, which is where we talked about why all these fights and quarrels among you, and we got this selfish desires revealed in the first place, we go back to that passage. Verse 6 begins to say, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned into mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. And he goes on to say how we are able to judge the law and be able to judge our neighbor and how tricky and messy of a situation that can get into, right, which just creates more conflict. But I think for us, as we think about the grace portion and we think about, okay, what causes quarrels and fights among us, it's our selfish desires. It's the cravings that we have. It's those things that we want that lead us down that chart. What is some of the answer to that? How is some of the way that we resolve conflict and that we deal with conflict? We enter into a place where sometimes we just give grace to people. And now I'm, I'm a person who loves boundaries. I love to talk about boundaries. I love to talk about all sorts of things. But at the end of the day, the fundamental part, I think, of where I'd love for all of us to start from is to be able to love grace and to be able to give that out freely because we have received it so freely. So I would love if you guys have any questions or any thoughts or any snide remarks, I'll take them all. Um, we just kind of rushed through that, but I also didn't want to, yes, 832, score. I also didn't want to keep you, some of you guys were, you know, <coughs> people who go to bed early. It was my desire, and so I was turning into... We should rework that chart. Um, but any questions, thoughts, comments? Yes. How do you still admit when you're in the impurity aspect to challenge? When I hear the word grace, I automatically go to the theological definition. And, um, and I do understand the idea of around um, the words that we use. I mean, obviously, you know, you and 
because it fits the occasion. So I think in this passage, the reason I talk about memorizing it is because I think I've yet to find a situation in my own life or one that I work with with other people where I can't find a little snippet of exactly what's going on in this passage. Does that make sense? So like, I, you know, oh, this is what's happening. Like, there's corrupting talk coming out of their mouths. Or, oh, look at that. Like, the bitterness and the wrath and the anger, like, they're all coming up, right? Or being able to really understand what those words mean, too. And so I think maybe next time we all get together to talk about conflict, we could just continue to go in and in on this passage. Um, but you talked about, like, God gives us, God is one who gives grace, and so sometimes it seems awkward that we would be able to extend grace also. Um, but that's, I think, part of, like, the gospel, right, is that we are instruments of his peace and instruments of his grace, and that we're able to find the darkness and we bring light, right, just as Jesus is the light, right, that we're able to find these situations and in these things bring the opposite of so many things that sin brings. And so at the end of the pa passage, my phone turns off, he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you, right? So those are the things that we also have an instrumental ability to be able to give, too. Like that tenderheartedness and the kindness and being able to forgive one another. And so there's lots of things in this passage that continue to go on to, you know, kind of equip us to give us tools to be able to say, like, so actually when you're in this situation, bring the kindness, you know? Bring your tender heart and bring the forgiveness. And yes, give those things out because that's what has been given to you, and so you're not to, like, keep all the grace for yourself, right? And just allow it to, like, be overflowing from you into the lives of other people. That's the nature of grace is that we're a conduit. We're not, like, a storage closet of it. But it changes us as it comes through us. Other questions? Comments? I'm going to close us um, with a song that is, um, probably many of you have heard this before. Um, 
it's Sarah McLaughlin, but it's a prayer of St. Francis. And so um, I don't know anything about like St. Francis's like relationship with birds and such like that, but I do think that what he wrote here is amazing. Um, so I'm going to close this in that song in a second, but I do think I would love for Village Church and the people of Village Church to be known for people who love well, right? And people who give grace well and people who forgive well and people who handle conflict because we're going to, we all, we cannot help but have selfish desires inside of our own hearts, right? But, but it is what we do with them and how we, how we handle them and how we work through them, how we acknowledge them, how we ask the Lord to reveal them that is going to be what sets us apart from people who don't know Jesus. And so, um, I'm going to pray all over you and over all of you. And I think, um, as you go home, I just hope that this continues to just encourage your heart and to equip it, to love other people well and to handle conflict biblically. And then I'll um, close us with the song. Um, and you can feel free to stay. And please eat the popcorn. There's only like five kernels missing, and there's a whole bag. Um, and then you guys can go. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much that you um, give us more grace. And I thank you so much that you um, work things together for your good. And that you are truth, and that you are light, and you are all these things that are the opposite of the way our heart functions so many times. So I pray tonight that we would have eyes that would see our own sinfulness and what it is that we need to change. And I pray that you would keep shame and condemnation far from each of the hearts as they process that. So we know that those just keep us frozen. But Lord, we pray that you would equip us to glorify you and to persevere for your glory. So as we examine our own hearts, Lord, and as we take in this information, um, I pray that you would just um, be with us and that we would get to watch you work. And so I thank you that you have made us instruments of being able to do so many different things in the midst of conflict and in the midst of our world, Lord. And I pray that you would make each of us an instrument of your peace as we go from here tonight. And that that would continue to spread throughout Village Church, Lord, that that would be something that we are known for, is laying down our selfish desires, keeping them with an open hand, Lord, and allowing to watch you work inside of them. So we thank you for that, and we praise you for all of the work that you will do and have done. In your name we pray.